Und wenn ich im Stein bin, dann stehe ich auf Snowpool, wenn ich bin. Hello again and welcome to I've Got a Beatles podcast with Dave and Chris and we are going to go way back today and talk about <laughs> something that actually we've not really ever gotten into which is how the Beatles kind of got to where they were based on their period in Hamburg and going to Germany and, uh, and I, I don't know I, I've, about you but with famous people it's it's always interesting to look at where they came from and how they how they got to be famous because we see the Beatles so often and they're always in their, f their finished form. And, yeah. And to actually look back at this period, which was really, really important, uh, and kind of see what, what, what would make them what they were, I think is really fascinating. And to kind of frame it, we're going to pick the Star Club performance, which happened around Christmas time in 1962, Christmas to New Year's, and uh, it's kind of their last performance in Hamburg, and kind of an important formative uh, experience for what we would later hear the next year. So uh, we're gonna. This is gonna be the first in an occasional series of. We we don't have a snappy name quite yet. We're gonna come up <laughs> with something, but of important or essential key gigs and performances in the Beatles' history and career. Yeah. And so this would certainly be one of them. Well, most definitely, this this is an essential thing, uh, mostly because we got a grainy. <laughs> Uh, recordings of it yeah. uh, that that are actually listenable enough that we can ascertain some things from them. Whether or not it was the best uh, a set of shows ever is uh, definitely debatable. <laughs> Whether or not the recordings are uh, good yeah. is almost not debatable. They're not that great. Yeah. For m many reasons, this is sort of like the end of an era and the beginning of an era. Yes. All at once, this this weekend or week of performances uh because it's uh, Ringo is in the group now mm -hmm. on these although the uh original when the Star Club album <laughs> came out they thought it would Pete Best was on it still yeah. and they were wrong and this this really feels like the last time that it would be sort of like I, and and why why it's essential these recordings is it's a it's a glimpse of what we're going to talk about the 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 this group that was sort of a ragtag sort of like playing all night up all night just playing for hours and hours sprawling who knows what they're gonna play 
playing a lot of covers group. By mid-63, they're a tight, they got a very tight set. They're not going to play anything off the, <laughs> that aren't on albums very yeah. much. They're, they're going to be like a completely different type performing group. Yeah, and that really changed. We, we know a lot about what the Beatles did in the cavern and lots of stories but we don't have the documentary evidence very much of it we have the couple of uh, some other guy and a few performances that have surfaced but not quite as thorough as the star club uh, performances and it, it is interesting they were much looser and took a lot of chances played some different songs that you wouldn't hear again uh, and then like you said that only a year later less than a year later they're now a, a touring set listed group and they had everything ready to go so uh, I think there's so much to be learned from this particular period so uh, I wanted to bring up a couple of things you mentioned one of them already which is Ringo uh, but he wasn't there at the beginning when they first went to Hamburg so they first went around August 1960 and the reason they went is because their manager who Alan Williams at the time uh, had another group called Dairy and the Seniors <laughs> Great name, huh? And, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I've got all the dairy and the senior yeah, stuff. You've got everything they ever did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, they were successful. They were the first Liverpool group to really go there. And so Alan Williams said, okay, well, let's, you know, all right, boys, let, let, let's, you go next. And the Beatles didn't have a drummer, so that's first how Pete Best got into the group because they needed a drummer. And at the time... George was young and underage, so he got deported. Lots of famous stories there. <laughs> uh, so we've got this group with, with Pete. And then Stu Sutcliffe, as well, is part of the story at this point in the early days. Who else did they meet there, speaking of Stu? Uh, Astrid. Yes, Astrid and... And Klaus. You got it. You got it. Klaus, Klaus Worman. Yeah. Famous uh, longtime Beatle collaborator in many different ways. I was just uh, last night watching the uh, um, uh, Give Me Some Truth again. Oh, yeah. With uh, someone who was here who was a Beatles fan and uh, hadn't seen it before, my girlfriend's mom. Uh-huh. And she just loved it, obviously. I was like, oh, there's Klaus. Look at Klaus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was really important. I mean, they Astrid was certainly an influence with her artistic flair and the haircut and getting Stu, in a sense, out of the group because he you know, he stayed stayed out with her. So that was a big thing. And then Klaus, yeah, would design the covers of uh, Revolver and Anthology, played bass on lots of tunes. Yeah. So yeah. really important people to meet. Uh, Stuart Sutcliffe uh, and Astrid Love Story uh, recorded... Uh, uh, in in great detail in the movie uh, Backbeat. If yes, you see the movie Backbeat, great great film. Kind of focusing on those two characters more than and and John, right? And and uh, more so than the other Beatles. Yeah. So I mean, you've got these interesting people they're meeting. They've got the personnel changes. Eventually, they'd move from Pete to Ringo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also had their first recording, and that's I know one of your favorite songs, My Bonnie. With Tony Sheridan. Oh yeah, Tony Sheridan, just a uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> I, I, everybody's disappointed that the Beatles aren't still uh, Tony Sheridan's back, backup man. I know, I know, such a <laughs> such a talent. But what that did, at least, it brought the attention to Brian Epstein. So yes, that, that 
was also incredibly important to get him in the picture. Just writing down all these things that happened just in these two years that related to the the Humber trip is really amazing. Another one, uh, you might have noticed, and we're going to find out when we listen to some of these Star Club tunes, they're pretty up-tempo. Uh, they're yeah. very, very energetic. Oh, yeah. I wonder why that was. It's, they're, they're, it's almost like they're rushing, <laughs> as if they think that that rush beat is like the normal beat. Right, 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 right exactly. And why do you think that was? Were they just really into peppy music at that time? Or uh, was there something else, maybe? <laughs> well, it could be coffee. They could just uh, yes. drink so much coffee to keep themselves up. That's what it was. It was just coffee, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you're going to really notice, especially on a couple of the tracks we're going to play, how fast and, and just amped up they are. And it's because of the pills that they were popping the that they called prellies. Uh, it was a amphetamine preludin and mm-hmm. some diet pills and things that just got them really amped up to play because they had to play these long gigs and lousy conditions and just keep up. So... Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, I mean, th- people say that even "Please Please Me," you can still feel the effects of it because they're the songs are just so fast. Early Beatles are much peppier, uh, but you really notice it on this this set. I'm also curious what you think of the fact that they played, uh, and we'll get into this when we talk about specific songs. But uh, you got to see a few originals pop into the set here. So you mentioned earlier covers, but we start to get a few originals. Yeah, there. Uh, particularly, I saw her standing there and mm-hmm. uh, asked me why. And said, yeah, yeah asked ask me, me why. why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually kind of surprising to me in in this particular gig that there's not more. Yeah, because like, Love Me Do, they even recorded Love Me Do by this point. That was the other point I was gonna yeah add too. The the June '62 they'd recorded. Yeah, Love Me Do. Yeah, uh, and how do you do it? And did that stuff and yet love me do is not here no no and, and uh yeah but yeah they are getting into their originals and i think it's just that well one thing about these star club gig is i'm not sure if they're like thinking of this as like part of their regular stuff mm. i think when they they're going they're oh yeah we're going back to germany we, it's almost like they're falling back into like well in germany we do this stuff uh, in, yeah. in germany we just they just want to hear the cover songs they mm. don't want to hear a whole bunch of our originals they don't want us to like you know we in fact that the, some have speculated they didn't really want to go yeah they're just they're sort yeah. of forced to go on this trip and that and that they're maybe their heart's not in it george in this the unreleased beatles music and film kind of says there's no organized recording. It was a wild affair. We were just a whole bunch of <laughs> drunken musicians grabbing guitars. <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah. So so <laughs> you know they're not. They're, wow. It's not exactly the best planned out. Like okay okay we want to we got to do ask me why and then we got to do this and we got to mm-hmm. do that. Uh, it's sort of like eh, let's do what do we want to do? Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, oh Tony Sheridan's here. Let's do money. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of hear that on uh, the the particular recording we have of it, which is not the actual released one. It has all the links in between the songs, so you can hear them just kind of tuning and saying like, "Oh, what do you want to do next? Oh, yeah, you want to try this? Okay, sure, yeah." It is yelling at audience members. Yeah, shut yelling, up! Shut up! 
<laughs> John, John the diplomat always uh, John especially yeah is really really hostile in a few t- few places must have had a lot of prelude prelies uh, <laughs> amped yeah. up uh, but it is fascinating for a lot of reasons and uh, just the fact that this was even recorded which it came about because Harrison says we came back to play the Star Cub a big place and fantastic because it had a great sound system this time we had a hotel. I remember it was quite a long walk from the club and the top of the repo bond going back towards the city. And portions of it were taped with a recorder by, uh, this is a great name, another group who was playing there, an associate of Ted, quote, King Size Taylor of the <laughs> Dominoes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so he, he somebody re- happened to have a recorder here. And yeah. that's how it all came about. Well, it's sort of like if you're doing a if you're doing a in your garage. Mm. A lot of this sounds like uh, I was in a band for a while called Nothing, mm-hmm. and and you know we'd have a a tape player that we just hit record on and just play, so they're not like everything's level, you yeah. know. Like yeah, some things are too popping. Right, you know, it's this push sort of, play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy Teddy Taylor here, king size, king size. Is yeah, that right? king size Taylor. Yeah, oh. maybe his feet's too big. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you don't have feet, he you know did record, uh, and he recorded it without their permission. Right, but nobody would have gotten thought to get permission at that time, no. and nobody would have thought that this is important or anything. No. So yeah. he's just recording them, and then later he decides he's got a gold mine mm-hmm. and, and uh, tries to get them released. And then it like gets held up in court. <laughs> a- a- Apple and the Beatles are like, no, we don't want this release. This is garbage. Yeah. And then it gets released finally in 77, right? Mm-hmm. On a weird um, label called Lingosong. Lingosong. Uh, yes, Lingosong. And then... They, they, they. It stays in the courts. They actually do get a ruling like, oh, "No, this can't come out now. You got to pull them." But they're already out there. Yeah. So much so, and then there's a beyond that, a CD remaster comes out. <laughs> so it's like, how does that come out after the courts have ruled that it can't come out? Yeah. I don't know. And then obviously, Dunn's bootlegs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 main thing is the genie's out of the bottle now. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So these things are out there. So this, to me, is a a prime thing that they could get Giles Martin and his magic <laughs> machine that he used for the Hollywood Bowl. Oh yeah. Stuff. Yeah. To go through these recordings and put them through his processing mm-hmm. and get the get the levels right and. Take this Star Club gig and let's get let's get us an official release. Yeah, from the Beatles with the best of the tunes, with liner notes, with all with the liner info notes, and yeah, mm-hmm. all the info and bonus tracks and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, so uh, so I think there's prime opportunity there. My my, if I'm a betting man, I don't bet that they do that, no. but they should. I like that idea. I hadn't even thought of that because I think it would be, again, you're you're. Yeah, first of all, they can do so much more now 
with mm-hmm. really bad sounding recordings. But also, I think there is an interest in how did the Beatles become the Beatles and learning about this stuff. Uh, because especially they they plugged it all the time. You hear in all those interviews that John said we were the best band when we were yeah. playing in Liverpool and Hamburg, or you know George said that oh we were a great tight band and all this stuff. And we want to hear evidence of it, and we have it here. Uh, yeah, and yeah, let's let's do it right. And yeah, it and it, and and it is there. Yeah, you'll hear you'll hear there is some merit to these recordings already. Yeah, the unreleased Beatles music and film by Richie Richie Unterberger, just an absolute great book, invaluable. Uh, so I wanna I wanna uh, suggest uh, to everybody who is a big Beatles fan to get the unreleased Beatles music and film by Richie Unterberger. And uh, they've got a nice, oh, just a fantastic write-up in there on these uh, Star Cub Club gigs. And they go through the details of all of the ways that, and this is back in 77, with the equipment they had back in 77, mm-hmm. and how he ran it through three or four different, like, you know, Dolby noise oh, reduction yeah. things. Back at the time, yeah. So they did clean it up quite a bit from what it was, which is just a, a garbled mess with a bunch <laughs> of audience sound, you know. And they were able to get some of that audience sound now. I'm sure Jaws Martin, with his m- machines and technology that's 50 years advanced for, yeah. or 40 years advanced from that, is uh, going to be able to clear clean it up even more. So I hope that it happens. Don't think it's going to happen. Probably not, unfortunately. <laughs> so in the meantime, you have us to take you through the Star Club gig here, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to play a couple selections in vis- various categories based on uh, actually what from that book, uh, some categories of, of the different types of songs that they played on the Star Club gig. Uh, we have tunes that, that were on albums, like we mentioned already, uh, Ask Me Why, and I Saw Her Standing There. We have tunes that we've heard on BBC sets, which we'll get into. Uh, and then we have songs that have were never on BBC or actual recordings. Those are the ones that are, like, for guys like you and me, are, like, the ones that, where you perk up. Yeah. And like, the, oh, oh. The gold mine, like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a fourth category we won't cover. And this is there's a bunch of stuff out there on the on all of these different various Star Club releases, which is the Beatles are playing, but some other idiot is singing. <laughs> <laughs> could be Tony Sheridan, could be Horst Fosher. Yeah, uh, his name is Horst Fosher, who was the club <laughs> manager. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, let's let that club manager sing one. That that shows you how uh, lucid he goes. Yes, and his brother sings too. Fred <laughs> Fasher sings on Bebopalula. So, <laughs> yeah, and they, even that they don't. Oh, and this is the other thing: we don't know how many gigs there were. Yeah. We don't know how many recordings went into this one. When the original Star Club uh, a recording came out in '77. They, they're sort of indicating that it's one gig and mm-hmm. that Pete Best is playing, and that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's all over the place. Yeah. But what we think is between December 21st and 31st, they played several gigs, and that at least three of the gigs are had, were recorded, and that's what all these mm. tapes are called from all that stuff with the those the guys we mentioned. Did or didn't sing on some of the songs? Yeah, you know, 
just it's a it's a it's the records are poor. <laughs> well, because think about it, you couldn't. It's not like today where you could just have infinite memory to record stuff. So I would imagine yeah. that uh, King Size Taylor's associate wouldn't be bringing enormous reels to these little gigs. And he would just do a few a night, kind of just doing yeah, bits yeah. and pieces, a couple songs here, a couple songs there. So uh, exactly. that, that would explain some of the uh, odd people singing on there that I can't imagine they'd all be at one particular gig. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, let's let's get, dig in a little bit. So we heard Hippie Hippie Shake, which falls into that category of the bbc sessions because we've heard that tune a lot it was one of the big rave rockers and in the version we played at the beginning of the show you can hear the german introduction a little bit uh, yep. and very appropriate <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's a great opener so yeah here's here's a here's i'm just gonna list off the songs that they recorded that were also on those bbc sets uh, Sweet Little Sixteen, that's a Chuck Berry thing. Nothing Shaken But the Leaves in the Trees. Mm-hmm. That's Eddie Fontaine, does the original of that. Lend Me Your Comb, from Carl Perkins. Uh, to Know Her to, Is to Love Her, that's the Teddy Bears. Uh, I'm Talking About You, Chuck Berry, Gonna Sit Down and Cry Over You. That's a Elvis song that they're doing. And uh, Basime Mucho, everybody's favorite. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, Basime yeah. Mucho. Uh, but what do you want to hear there, Dave? Well, let's go with uh, one of their favorite Carl Perkins tunes. They always seem to enjoy playing Lend Me Your Comb, so uh, we can take a listen to that one. George rocking out there, sounding pretty good on guitar there. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's a little all over the place. That's he's probably perfect. the the, yeah. the uh, messiest of the of the crew well on, the, put. on these sets of recordings. Yeah, that you nailed it exactly. Uh, some of his solos on the set are terrific, like that one. He really rocks, and uh, others he's a little bit flailing, kind of trying to figure out what to play. Uh, in the, the weird thing in the mix, though, a lot of times you hear john you hear a lot of rhythm guitar and it's it to me fascinating to hear how he helps drive the tune and you know he's playing with ringo they haven't been playing together that long but ringo yeah. sounds terrific i mean ringo is just compared to the previous drummer uh it is <laughs> night and day i mean ringo just locks in just falls right into the pocket so uh yeah, yeah great great tune and 
they were big fans of of that one. So uh, then we also have some tunes that were on albums, right? Oh yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's a lot of tunes that they played that were on albums. Uh, so uh, ask me why I saw her standing there, twist and shout, a taste of honey, and then roll over Beethoven till there was you. Long Tall Sally, mm-hmm. Matchbox, Kansas City, uh, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, and Mr. Moonlight. Wow, that's a lot a, of tunes. <laughs> a lot of tunes, and, and what strikes me is that a lot of them that wouldn't even come out for, you know, would be on their fourth album. Right, right. So they're still going back to this club stuff, yeah. which is kind of what, what was my, in one of our uh, famous Agree to Disagrees, I went on about uh, how the worst Beatles album <laughs> is Beatles for Sale. I uh, won that agree to disagree hands down. Wait a and, minute. Uh, <laughs> it's, because, it's still ongoing. Because they're still playing stuff like uh, Mr. Moonlight. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> it is like a little bit like they, well, they were in a pinch, so they needed some tunes, so they were a little bit, uh, you know, I wouldn't say lazy, but going back to the past. Oh, you yeah. might say lazy, but... yeah. <laughs> going back to the recent past and playing some of those tunes. Although, I think it's interesting what you mentioned Mr. Moonlight because the yeah. version on the Star Club sounds quite different. So let's take a listen to that one because it is not what you expect from Beatles for Sale. Yeah, so Mr. Moonlight there, quite different. You know, in fact, uh, we've we've had this debate, and I know a friend of the show, Kid O'Toole, is a big fan of Mr. Moonlight. But yeah. I, I'd have to say I like this version much better. And I know it's very it's amphetamined up and kind of like real hopped up. But there's something, there's an energy that I feel is lacking in the Beatles for Sale version. And maybe it's the organ. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's the slowing it down. I, I think if this is one of the uh, maybe they should have popped some of those pills before they <laughs> did. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead, they were smoking the uh, wacky tobacco probably right. by that. So yeah. it was sort of sm- slowing it down a little too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it miss the organ in this uh, club version? Uh, well, it, it's kind of cool with the guitars there. Yeah. I mean, I I actually like the organ on Mister Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. It's um, cool. I think uh, uh, you know, uh, it's not the worst Beatles song for me. No. But but what works here better is the the vocal. I think the when it's slower, 
the vocal harmony is not quite being right. Mm. Uh, don't don't bother you on a quicker version like yeah. this. You, over, so. you can kind of overlook some of the uh, little intricacies when you're just m- more on groove and feel. Bang it with you, please! <laughs> sort of like that kind of not quite on the note yeah. kind of yeah. thing. It, it, it sends fine tingling chills up and down uh, mm-hmm. a guy who, say, has perfect pitches. Uh, <laughs> for example. <laughs> for example, like Dave. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Of, of these, that's that's one of the most interesting ones. And then the other really interesting one, I think, is uh, because they'd uh, be recording it uh, shortly thereafter, Ask Me Why. One of the great early Beatles songs from Please Please Me is uh, Ask Me Why. And even there, you just, they have something that's different with the vocals. And it's it's still, it's pretty tight version. Uh, yeah. And just has a, a sound to it that the world will know in not too much longer from that time. So uh, I like I like hearing it. I don't, I don't know if they commit to an original more than a cover, uh, but it does sound very good. The other thing is the vo- the vocals really sound prominent and yes. good in that. Not always the case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in these Star Club recordings, where you can like really crystal clear hear the vocals and everybody's being quiet in the mm-hmm. crowd. Nobody's getting yelled "shut up" at. <laughs> <laughs> One yeah. other thing before we go on that I wanted to mention is a couple of these tunes. Like you'll notice they'll they're like say shitty shitty and stuff. <laughs> Like they'll they'll like I mean it's pretty loose and kind of dirty so yeah yeah kind you of can tell <laughs> if if you're like uh, put this on one day and just kind of like uh, have a laugh at it that's kind of funny well they did say I think Paul called Hamburg the naughtiest city in the world so oh. they knew their audience yeah they were <laughs> <laughs> part of that yeah um so uh, the, these other ones here it's uh, uh, there's no other ver- versions of these out. Uh, Roadrunner and Red Hot. Sheila uh, from Tommy Rowe. Uh, Where Have You Been? That's an Arthur Alexander song. He, he did uh, Anna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, reminiscing, that's a Buddy Holly tune. I Remember You, that's like a show tune. Show right? tune, yeah. Mm-hmm. I Wish I Could Shimmy Like My Sister Kate, which is just <laughs> called Shimmy Like Kate here. Uh-huh. Um, that's an Olympics tune. Red Sails in the Sunset. Uh, it's Ernie Ford and Joe Turner. Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. Falling in Love Again. That's Marley Dietrich. Wow. <laughs> Little Queenie. 
a Chuck Berry song and Your Feet's Too Big, a Fats Waller song. We'll go out with Your Feet's Too Big. Yeah. But let's play a couple of these. What what would you like to hear? Yeah, they're pretty interesting. Uh, Let's do Sheila, because you mentioned that one kind of uh, earlier. And Sheila is Tommy Rowe, who was later known for singing, Oh, Sweet Pea. Come on and dance with me. <laughs> come on, come on, come on and dance with me. Uh, yeah. As well as many others. So we'll give George the uh, vocal here. And as we've no- we've noted before when we talked about the Decca sessions, George mm-hmm. got a lot of lead singing. And it, it's kind of interesting at this point to hear George doing it. So let's hear George on Sheila. <laughs> Yeah, a little Sheila. What do you think about George getting all those tunes, and then once the Beatles became the real Beatles, then he was relegated to a tune here and there? I don't know. It's 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 a tough call because you don't know if it's just in the studio. He, he's not bringing it, and mm, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if he's if he's a little uh, more laid, I mean, he's definitely more laid back of a guy. So I don't know if when. They got around George Martin if he sort of clammed up a little bit and mm. wasn't what wasn't given the such a d- brilliant performances that they they're like oh we gotta have a, get more George in here yeah yeah <laughs> or what whereas like you know you can imagine John and Paul are just gonna be like oh this is our time mm-hmm. and like really take over so yeah. could be a, a could be a case of that but yeah things will work out fine for George we know I think it, yeah <laughs> he did okay he was fine <laughs> yeah. So we'll pick um, another one for us here. Oh, uh, gotta gotta do Red Sails in the Sunset because that that one's been of all of these. If you listen to the whole thing day after day, like I've been doing, mm-hmm. which is a little rough to do. <laughs> yeah, the audio quality gets on you, it, especially if you're also listening with the uh, the banter in between. <laughs> oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but you can't hardly hear what they're saying, you know. <laughs> Uh, but the one that really sticks, one of the ones that really sticks out, uh, is "Red Sails in the Sunset." So we got, we got to hear that. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah, one of the more precise uh, sounding tunes on the on the whole uh, package there, mm-hmm. and you really you really hear uh, Ringo kind of going after it and being very precise on when to stop and stuff like that. You know, so like like they do sound really together and tight on that tune. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, like we said earlier, you really hear the difference between Ringo and Pete very clearly here. That just locks in really well. Uh, I'm curious to hear an original, the original version of that song because I'm just again like everything else here. I'm guessing it may not be as up tempo as yeah. <laughs> the Beatles it says are playing. Modeled, it. modeled on version by Joe Turner or Ernie Ford and the Checkmates. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to check that. So out. who knows what that means? Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah. fun, fun tune, and Paul sings. Paul sounds good, and uh, it works well. So. I yep. wanted to play one more uh, from this group, and it's another Paul version, and I, I, it totally makes sense. It's a popular tune, a show tune with Johnny Mercer. I think he wrote the lyrics. Uh, I remember you. I think of it as a Chet Baker tune, a great trumpet player. Uh, but we'll hear Paul and John doing "I Remember You." <laughs> Well, we know Paul likes the show tunes, as Till There Was You is on there and a few yeah. others. But uh, what do you think of the uh, back and forth of the <laughs> harmonica? <laughs> Ugh, the <laughs> harmonica is like, it does not fit no. to me. It's like... <laughs> 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 but, uh, but uh, interesting. I, I like I like uh, the idea that of them just, you know, and they're... they're they don't get any credit. We don't talk very much about, and I, I think not. These aren't necessarily some of your favorites, but like a taste of honey. Mm-hmm. Till there was you. Till, Till there, there was, was you. you. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, such odd choices of tunes to do. Yeah, you know, better than better to me than oh, let's do just another Chuck Berry song. Yeah, another blues. To like, or to like yeah. reach out, to try to get these other types of tunes, right. pull them in, and play them in, in gigs like this i think it's like uh when you hear till there was you on this recording i think he plays the first little bit of it and somebody recognizes it in the audience you could hear him and they go like "Ooh, Ooh like that. surprise so yeah. but yeah so it's a good it's a good to uh thing that they did grabbing some stuff other than just you know like i said uh, oh here's another uh Carl Perkins tune. Yeah, or else you'd be called the Rolling Stones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, hey, no, I know they did more than that, but, but yeah. yeah, that's true. They were they always had a interest in a diverse, wide range of tunes, and I think you definitely get that on the whole 
Star Club set, and yeah. it's not something you may be listening to often, or no, uh, because because <laughs> the sound quality really does grate on you after a while. But as a historical document, as a historical gig in the Beatles' career, uh, because just think of the timing, like we talked about. This is Christmas, end of '62. They're on the precipice of getting it all started the next yeah. year, and. They've already recorded a couple tunes. Yeah. They're they're about to go in. They're about to record some more. And yeah, you know, they're one year uh, from the Decca. Remember, right. Decca was at the beginning of '62. It was right? at the beginning. Yeah, it was it's so, New Year's Day. Wow, quite a year. Just think about and we that. Did, we did that Decca episode uh, a while back. So mm-hmm. this shows you the growth. Yeah, of, like they're doing they're doing songs that are going to be on that those first four albums yeah now yeah. we hear we're hearing them and and ringo's there and yeah, yeah so important gig not certainly not the best gig <laughs> you know well i think what we'll do is we'll probably be looking at all kinds of different gigs from solo like uh bangladesh mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and uh some some john you know, live in new york city or things yeah like that. Or, uh 1979 uh paul at uh you know yeah a concert for Campuchia, Campuchia, yeah. or things things of that nature. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we'll we'll revisit the topic uh, every so often. Definitely. <laughs> now that we don't have any more scruffs to. Uh, no, we're done with scruffs. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fascinating to to see what they were up to and at this particular time in their career. So, uh, hope you've enjoyed this look way look look way back at uh, the Beatles in Hamburg and especially at the Star Club. And uh, as usual, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and send us an email at I've Got a Beatles Podcast at hotmail.com. And we're going to go out today with kind of another oddity. I, I think the lyrics, there's a little more to it than <laughs> than the title uh, because <laughs> it's, it's Fats Waller and it's Your Feet's Too Big is the name of it. But uh, one could read a little deeper into <laughs> what what they're after here is it a, is it just a silly song or i don't know what's what's up yeah. here but uh <laughs> any case it's a fun tune and always good to hear paul singing some fat swaller here on your feet's too big your feet's too big <laughs> who's that one?